Mark chapter 7. We'll begin at verse 1 here momentarily. We've been talking about the dietary laws and how they apply to our lives from the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. And I spent the first three weeks in this series teaching on that. And then last week we began to look at some of the objections that people tend to give when they find out that we don't eat certain animals. We don't eat the pig or we don't eat the camel or we don't eat the rabbit or we don't eat the dog. Those are all unclean animals according to the instruction manual. But sometimes people come along and say, well, what about this verse or what about that passage or what about this understanding? What about this writing of Paul or this vision of Peter? And one of the famous texts that usually gets brought up is in Mark chapter 7, verse 19, where in my Bible it says that the Messiah declared or made all foods clean in Mark 7, verse 19. Usually that's where the argument begins and that's where the argument ends. Very few times have I ever engaged in a discussion with someone that knew what the entire text in Mark 7 had to teach. And I think that when we spend time going through these 23 verses today, that the picture will get crystal clear and that you'll understand what Yeshua was teaching here in this Gospel of Mark. We'll begin in verse 1 where it says that the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Him. We read passages like this and sometimes we glance over them and we don't understand them completely because we don't live back at the time that it took place or at the time that it was written by the author. The Pharisees were one of the groups in Judaism. Judaism was the way of life for the people of Judah. And there were different groups in Judaism that interpreted the law of Yahweh differently, that lived by different standards to some extent. And one of the groups was the Pharisees. You had also the Sadducees, which was the Zadokians. They believed that they descended from the Aaronic lineage, from Aaron the priest in the book of Exodus. You had the Zealots, you had the Essenes, you had the Nazarenes, later called the Christians. These were all groups in the Hebrew faith. But the Pharisees, coming from a word in Hebrew called perushim, which means separated ones, they called themselves this because they believed that they were the strictest group in Judaism. And they looked down on everybody else. They were masters at cleansing the outside. But they were terrible at least the majority of them were terrible at cleansing the, the inside. And if you were to look at them from the outside and listen to them pray, you would think these are holy people. You would think, man, that's the best prayer I've ever heard. Or that's the holiest man or woman that I've ever seen. And they would puff their chest up because they wore the tassels very long, and they wore up the, the phylactery box that held the, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, on a little scroll inside of the box on their forehead and on their left hand. And you would look at them and you would think, man, that's a, that's a holy person. But they looked down on everybody else. Um, there's a parable in Luke chapter 18 where this Pharisee was praying in the temple, and there was a tax collector that was standing beside him. 
And in his prayer, he said, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this tax collector that is standing beside me. Then he goes on and the Bible says, or Yeshua said, that he prayed thus to himself. And I believe that there's a, a play on words there by the author in that the Pharisee's prayer wasn't going up to the ears of Yahweh. He was just speaking into the wind and praying thus to himself. The Pharisees and the scribes, there were scribes of the Pharisees, scribes of the Sadducees. The scribes were the copiers of the law and the interpreters of the law. and A lot of them were Pharisees as well. A lot of them were Sadducees too. But these were the people that had come to Jerusalem and they gathered around Him in verse 1. And the Him there is the Messiah. And in verse 2 it says this, They observed that some of His disciples were eating their bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. The word bread there is probably the staple of life. stands for food in general. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, we're not just praying for a loaf, but we're praying for sustenance, for food. The Pharisees looked at the disciples of the Messiah and they noticed that the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. Now, it's important that you realize that what they're talking about here is not that the disciples' hands were dirty. It doesn't mean like when I go out to work on the septic truck all day and I get home and the first thing that I do is I go to the sink and I wash my hands with soap and hot water. Why? Because they're dirty hands. Physically dirty hands. That's not what the Pharisees observed. It wasn't like the disciples had muddy hands or dirty fingernails or anything like that particularly. But it was that the disciples did not observe a particular ceremonial tradition that the Pharisees did observe. This was called the hand-washing ritual or the hand-washing tradition. Verse 3 says, For the Pharisees, in fact, all the Jews will not eat unless they wash their hands ritually, keeping the tradition of the elders. We might notice that it says all the Jews here in verse 3. I don't think that that means all the Judahites because we see the disciples who were Hebrews or Judahites, they didn't follow this ritual tradition. So the word Jews here probably means Judeans, those located in the area of Judea or Jerusalem around the temple. All of them consider themselves stricter and they observed this ritual hand washing. And they won't eat unless they wash their hands ritually. The King James says, unless they wash their hands oft, O-F-T. Both of those are really translation glosses. They're not necessarily wrong, but they're not exact because the literal meaning is with the fist. They wash their hands with the fist. And this ceremony went something like this. You can check this out for yourself, and I encourage you to do so. They would make sure before they did this hand washing, they would make sure that their hands were clean and dry. So they would wash their hands before they washed their hands. The first washing was to get the hands clean. The second washing was a ceremony. And what they would do is they'd hold the cup in one hand, fill the cup with water, and they would pour over a a loosely clenched fist. They would pour the water over the left, and then they would repeat. And then they would take the cup with the left hand, and they would pour the water over the right hand with the fist, with a loosely clenched fist twice. And then they would raise their hands up to heaven, and they would say a blessing or a prayer. And then after the prayer was given or the blessing was given, they were not allowed to speak common speech until they began to eat their meal. And if they spoke a common word before they ate, 
then they had to do the ritual hand washing over again. It was so entrenched as a tradition among the Pharisees and the Judeans that there was talk amongst them of an evil spirit named Shibta that lived on people's hands. And if you did not perform the ritual hand washing to wash Shibta off, that you might ingest him when you ate your food. This was believed by many of the Judeans, many of the Pharisees. You can read a lot of this in three particular commentaries on Mark 7 and Matthew 15, which Matthew 15 is the parallel passage to Mark 7. Same story, different author. Adam Clark, John Gill, and Bishop Lightfoot talk a lot about what I'm discussing right now. There was a rabbi in Judaism named Rabbi Akiba who was once in prison and he only had a little bit of water. And Rabbi Akiba chose to use that little bit of water that he had left to perform the ritual hand washing instead of drink it. So he chose death instead of life. And he was praised for that. There was another Judahite that did not perform the ritual hand washing. I think this was in Bishop Lightfoot's commentary. And when he died, the Sanhedrin put a big stone, not a tombstone, but a big stone on top of his grave. And they said that they stoned the man after he was dead because he would not do the ritual hand washing. The Pharisees believed in this. Why did they believe in this? Well, verse 3 says that it was a tradition of the elders. Notice that the author here, Mark, doesn't say that it was a law of Yahweh. It doesn't say it was one of the commandments in the instructions or in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But it was a tradition But to the Pharisees, it wasn't just any tradition. It was a tradition of the elders, starting in their minds with Elder Moses and Elder Joshua. They believed that when Moses received the written law on Mount Sinai, written with the finger of Yahweh on tables of stone, and then Yahweh dictated law that Moses wrote down in a book and put beside the tablets of the covenant, they also believed that in addition to that, Yahweh gave Moses oral instruction that he didn't write down, but that he memorized. And so he didn't just pass down the written law to Joshua, but he passed down the oral instruction to Joshua. And then Joshua passed it down to another elder. And the Pharisees believed that they received it from elder to elder to elder, all the way down to them. And they call it the tradition of the elders. And it was looked upon as either equal with the written law, or sometimes greater than the written law. As we're going to see, sometimes they esteemed the oral instruction, passed down from word of mouth, greater than the written law, the tradition of the elders. You've got to understand that arguing against this tradition, this tradition that they believe lasted for over a thousand years or more, arguing against this tradition, as we're going to see that Yeshua does, That was a big deal. He basically came into the camp as a Hebrew and said, I know you've been doing this for hundreds of years and that your forefathers have taught this and this and thus, but you're wrong. That's what he was telling them. And they got upset. They were baffled. How can you tell us we're wrong? We've been doing this forever in their minds. You know, it's kind of like that with a lot of traditions in Christianity. I don't know about you guys, but we make sure 
If we don't forget, sometimes we have. Yahweh forgive us. But we make sure to bless Yahweh for our meal when we're through eating. I constantly tell my children when you've eaten in our food, don't forget to bless Yahweh. It's a commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's easy to forget Him sometimes when we're full because we're satisfied, we sit back, we're relaxed, and we forget. Whoa, who gave us that meal? Who gave us the ability to, to have the, the money to get that meal? Well, it's nothing wrong with praying before you eat. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. It's not a sin to do so, but I don't pray before I eat generally. But there's been times when I haven't prayed before I've eaten in front of a group of Christians. And I'll start eating and they'll look down and say, well, I thought Brother Matthew was a holy man. He didn't pray before he ate. Why didn't he pray? But see, I'm bringing that up to show you that sometimes people are traditionalized to think that if you don't do things the way that they have done them or their dad did them or their granddad or their great-granddad did them and handed them down, that you're violating the law of Yahweh. Now, once again, I don't think that it's wrong or a sin to pray before you eat, but it's not a commandment to bless Yahweh before you eat. It is a commandment to bless Him after you eat. Just giving that as a little illustration to help you understand what's going on here. This was that times ten. Hundreds of years of tradition. Verse 4 says, When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep like the washing of cups and jugs and copper utensils and dining couches or some translations say bed mats. Notice when they come from the marketplace. Why do they wash when they come from the marketplace? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because at the marketplace they bump into people, literally, that aren't Pharisees. They bump into people that are less strict than them. And so they're in the marketplace doing their business and all of a sudden they rub shoulders with somebody and they look and they're not a Pharisee or maybe they're not even a Hebrew. And they believe that contact with that, that brush up against defiled the Pharisee. And so when they would get home, they would wash their hands and they'd wash anything else. If they had a cup with them while they touched the outsider, they would wash the cup or the jug or the copper utensil. Verse 5, Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked Him, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ritually unclean hands? Look at verse 6. Here is Yeshua's response to the Pharisees. He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. That's huge. The word hypocrites means a pretender or a play actor. Like a person that has a acting role on the stage. They're playing a part that they're not in real life. That's what the word hypocrite means. And he lays into them, boom, right at the beginning. Isaiah prophesied about you guys, and he's about to quote Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. He says, as it is written, which I think is a jab at their oral tradition, because he mentions what is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Disregarding the command of the Almighty, you keep the tradition of men. Verse 9, He also said to them, You completely invalidate the Almighty's command in order to maintain your tradition. What Yeshua is saying here is this, Yahweh the Father does not want you giving Him 
lip service. He doesn't want you just telling Him, I love you, I worship you, I praise you. Let me put on all the outward adornments so that everybody looks at me and thinks that I'm holy. Now, there's nothing wrong with the outward aspects of the law in and of themselves. But it's wrong when we only focus on the outside and we have no inward reality. Yahweh wants devotion. He doesn't just want your lips. He wants your heart. And I'm afraid that it's the same way in in our day and time. I'm afraid that the majority of people that profess to believe in God honor Him with their lips, but their hearts far from Him. A lot of phonies, a lot of facades, a lot of play actors, a lot of hypocrites, a lot of people that don't really love Yahweh. And Yeshua says, when you're like that, your worship is in vain. The word vain means useless or worthless. Could you imagine hearing from the Messiah? Your worship towards Yahweh is useless and worthless. Your teaching for doctrines or instructions, the commandments of men. You've disregarded the commandment of Yahweh to keep your tradition. You never want to elevate a tradition that you have to the status of law. And you never want to have a tradition that contradicts the law. It's okay to have family traditions. It's okay to have personal convictions. I have some of my own. But I would never teach them as law from the pulpit. Because they're not. It's just between me and Yahweh. Never elevate a tradition that you hold to the status of a commandment. One way that they did this, Yeshua is going to go into the fifth commandment here in a second, but one way that they did this, is pretty famous in our circles, is that the law of Yahweh taught to reverence and memorialize and hold sacred His divine name, His holy name. And so they would say, well, we don't want to not reverence it, We don't want to blaspheme it, so a surefire way that we won't blaspheme it is to not speak it. And therefore, tradition came about to not speak the name. Well, the problem is, is when you don't speak the name, that's not being reverent towards the name. (laughs) Because Yahweh says, speak it, praise it, proclaim it, declare it, so forth and so on. Well, in verse 10, here's another way that they revoke the commandment to keep their tradition. It said, for Moses said... Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift committed to the temple, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You revoke the Almighty's word, that's the written commandments, by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many other similar things. So it wasn't just this that they disregarded the commandment to keep the tradition. It wasn't just the hand washing. Yeshua says in verse 13, they do many other similar things. Yeshua was not a rabbinical Jew. He wasn't a Jew in the sense of, I've got to keep all of the traditions of the elders or I'm going to be in trouble. No, this is what, if you understand and read the Gospels correctly, this is why, as a big reason, why they hated Him so much. Not because He abrogated Yahweh's law, but because He challenged and violated many of their traditions. The traditions of the elders. 
that in reality didn't come from the elders. They thought they did. But the Messiah teaches us that they didn't. So in this fifth commandment here that says, Honor your father and your mother, I think that this tradition probably started out as a good thing. Let me explain. It's a good thing to want to devote your belongings to the temple service. To say korban, as it says in verse 11. The word korban means a gift or an offering or a sacrifice. And it's okay. It's a good thing to say, you know what? I want to devote this to the temple. I don't want to use this for myself or my family. I want to devote it to the temple and vow it to the temple. But Yeshua goes on to say that, look, there comes a time in a man's life when his father and his mother may get sick or may get old. And you need to take care of them. The roles reverse, just like your parents took care of you when you were a little baby and you couldn't take care of yourself. The roles reverse and there comes a time when your, your parents could get sick or old and then you take care of them when they can't take care of their self. That should let us know that the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, isn't just to David. A lot of times I think we think, well, that commandment's to David or to Rosalind and Elijah because they have parents. And that commandment's still to me. I'm still commanded to honor my father and my mother. And that spills over into honoring those that are older than you, honoring the elders, respecting the elders, taking care of them, watching out for them. But Yeshua said, look, it comes time for you to honor your parents. And you say, well, I can't because what I would use to take care of them, I've already given to the temple. I've said, Corban, it's a gift. And so I'm relieved of that. The Pharisees would tell him, and you're relieved of that because you've given what you have to the temple. You don't have to honor your parents. And Yeshua says, no, no. If you've given something to the temple and your parent, your father or your mother, gets sick or gets old and they need that something, when those two laws, quote unquote, kind of butt heads or conflict, love and mercy takes precedent. It's like if you see your ox fall into the ditch on the Sabbath day or your child fall into the well on the Sabbath day, you're allowed to get your child out or the ox out of the ditch. Why? Because mercy and love takes precedence over Sabbath observance in that regard. Life always comes first. <clears throat> and so the Pharisees were saying, no, the vow's been made to the temple. That's it. You don't have to take care of your parents. And Yeshua says, you are revoking the commandment of Yahweh. Just to keep your tradition. And many other things you do. Verse 14, summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now we've read the whole text up to this point in verse 15, and I haven't seen anything about the dietary laws in the text. And I don't think you have either. Because that's not the subject. That's not the context of this. So when Yeshua says nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, he's talking about, look, you guys think you're defiled ritually or ceremonially when you go to the marketplace and you rub against the heathens and you touch their money or you touch somebody who's touched some of the money. You think that defiles you? Nothing that goes from the outside can defile you. That's the context of what he's saying. He's not saying nothing without any qualifications. We, we've learned in both the Old Testament and there's New Testament verses that we're not allowed to eat blood. Uh, that does defile a person. Or what about um, 
you know, drugs like cocaine or heroin. Do you think that would defile you if you do that? Absolutely, that would defile you. There are things that you can do to defile your body. Leviticus 11 verse 44 says, Do not be defiled with the creeping crawling things, the unclean animals. uses that word. So there's ways that you can defile yourself from the outside in, but that's not the context of this passage. This passage is about ceremonially or ritually being defiled in the mind of the Pharisees. You can't be defiled that way, he says. Verse 16, If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. The Bible says this many times and it lets us know that everybody doesn't have ears to hear. Just because people hear audibly doesn't mean they hear spiritually. But those who have ears to hear, listen to what he says. When he went into the house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him about the parable. The parable is a reference to verse 15. In verse 18, and he said to them, Are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a man from the outside can defile him? In other words, when you go to the marketplace and you rub up against a heathen or a non-Pharisee, that doesn't change your heart. That doesn't affect your inward person, your inward reality. Verse 19, For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. If you don't perform the ritual hand washing and you cut yourself a piece of bread and you eat the piece of bread even though you've been down to the marketplace with the Gentiles, the piece of bread doesn't go into your heart. It goes into your stomach and it's eliminated. And I prefer the King James Version at this point over the Holman Christian Standard Bible because it says is eliminated or goes into the draught. That's a nice way of saying the toilet. That's what it is in the Greek. It's the latrine or the sewer or the toilet. It goes into the draught and the King James translator said, purging all meats. In other words, the digestive system will purge what does it need to be in your body as nutrient and it will be eliminated into the toilet. It doesn't go into the heart. It goes into the stomach. The subject is not the dietary laws. The Pharisees did not come to Yeshua and say, why do your disciples eat pork? Or why do your disciples eat camel? That wasn't the subject. That wasn't the context. It has to do with ritual defilement. There's a technical understanding of Mark 7, 19. I'm not going to get into it. It's technical. It's grammatical. Um, it will explain the reason that some of the translators translates it. As a result, He made all foods clean. Uh, I think that even if we translate it that way, it's not necessarily wrong because, as I've said many times in this series, we must understand that food is what Yahweh says to be food. And so, purging or cleansing all foods would mean all foods that Yahweh gave in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. But I don't think that's the best way to translate it. If you want to know the technical aspect on that, you can ask me after the sermon. I'm not going to include it in the sermon. Um, I can point you in some directions on that. But as we close, look at verses 20 through 23. Listen to what Yeshua said. And this hit the Pharisees head on. Then He said, What comes out of a person that defiles him? So He says, What goes in, what you're eating without ritually washing your hands doesn't defile you or wouldn't defile you, O Pharisees. But what defiles you is what comes out of a person. That's a slap in their face. Because they believe that they were defiled from the outside in. And He's telling them, No, you're defiled from the inside out. You've got a heart problem. 
And so what I've got to understand, Brother Matthew's got to understand, is that it's not that on the outside that defiles me, it's Matthew's heart that defiles me. It's my stony heart. It's my Jeremiah seventeen nine heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 21, For from within, inside, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, lewdness, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. And what Yeshua is telling the Pharisees is this. He says, look guys, your problem is not going to the marketplace. Your problem is not contracting defilement from a non-Pharisee. Your problem's inside of you. You need a new heart. You need a new spirit. Because without it, you won't have salvation. You won't be able to love Yahweh. You can jump through all the hoops. You can look the part. You can say the prayers. doesn't matter. You honor Him with your lips. Your heart is far from Yahweh. This should let us know that we shouldn't ever play the blame game when it comes to our sins. He did this, she did that, they did this, Satan did this, the world did this. Now when you sin, it's your fault. It came from your heart. You need a new heart. Pharisees had it backwards. You can clean up the outside and remain wicked on the inside. But brothers and sisters, if Yahweh changes you on the inside... It'll manifest itself slowly but surely in every area of your life. Because you're a new creation. So the dietary law is not the subject of the passage. And it's so important to understand the background. You say, Brother Matthew, that's a lot of detail on this text. You know, I don't think a first century reader, a first century Hebrew, wouldn't have to be taught that detail. He would automatically know it because he lived back at that time. But we're 2,000 years removed, and so we've got to understand some technicalities to get the gist of the passage. And I want you to make a habit of sharing these passages with other people when they ask you, well, you may not eat pork, but I do because Christ declared all foods clean. Mark seven nineteen says He made all foods clean. And ask them, say, well, look, you got a few minutes. Let's sit down and let's go from verse 1 and look at the 23 verses in this text. Plant a seed, water a seed, and be patient with other people. They may not see it right off, but be patient with them. And let Yahweh do the, do the growth. I hope that it's blessed you. I'm going to teach one more lesson on an objection next Sabbath. And then we'll finish this series of messages out. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Almighty Yahweh, thank You so much for another time of Bible study. Thank You for Your Word. It truly is a lamp and a light. Yahweh Father, let us not handle it deceitfully. And please forgive us when we do unknowingly. And correct us Show us the right way. Thank You for Your Son. His teaching is so wise. Thank You for His instructions. Thank You for His example. And Yahweh, may we be like Him in all that we say and all that we do. Let us worship You from the heart, not from the mouth. 
but from the heart. Hallelujah. Amen.